Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Head-to-head, polls flash more warning signs for President Biden as he makes his case for re-election. Just a little more breathing room. That's what Bidenomics is all about. Could a potential new compromise in Congress on the border hurt him even more with his party? Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is considering challenging Biden next year and joins me next. Plus, with friends like these, a month until the Iowa caucuses and on the trail, Donald Trump is quoting dictators such as Vladimir Putin. It shows the rottenness of the American political system. In a month, will he be his party's de facto nominee? I'm not going anywhere. Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie is coming up. And deadly mistake. Israel reels after its troops mistakenly kill three of its own hostages, waving a white flag. Will that change the way Israel is waging war in Gaza and affect crucial support from the United States? Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is frankly stunned watching the leading Republican presidential candidate, Donald Trump, quote one of our nation's foremost adversaries, Vladimir Putin, as a sort of character witness while on the stump in New Hampshire last night. Vladimir Putin of Russia says that Biden's, and this is a quote, politically motivated persecution of his political rival is very good for Russia because it shows the rottenness of the American political system, which cannot pretend to teach others about democracy. One might think such a point need not be made, but Vladimir Putin, a former KGB official with blood on his hands, who regularly sides with American adversaries, both rhetorically and with arms, and who right now has at least two Americans, Evan Gershkovich, and Paul Whelan unjustly detained, Vladimir Putin is not a credible source of information about American democracy, much less American jurisprudence. Vladimir Putin seeks to undermine the United States and its allies, whether in Europe or Asia or the Middle East. And yet despite this, or maybe by now because of it, I can no longer tell, Mr. Trump stands poised to do very well in the Republican Iowa caucuses on January 15th in less than a month. He has only expanded his lead where his campaign is taking a more disciplined than expected approach to the caucuses. He's hoping a decisive victory there will help him consolidate support in the primary contests that followed it. Joining us now to discuss is Republican presidential candidate and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Um, Governor Christie, you just heard Donald Trump approvingly quoting Vladimir Putin about American democracy, about the American legal system, uh, attacking the criminal charges against him and the rottenness of the American political system, quote-unquote, Uh, What's your reaction? My my reaction is that he gets worse and worse by the day, Jake, and voters better start paying attention to exactly what he's saying. He has always been approving of Putin right from the beginning of his presidency. That was something that he and I had regular arguments about going all the way back to 2017. And the fact is that Vladimir Putin, as an expert on democracy, 
This is a guy who doesn't even know what democracy is, and quite frankly, has spent most of his life trying to undercut democracy all over the world. Um, and Donald Trump citing him as his expert witness that he's being persecuted and is innocent. Look, this is a guy who just believes, woe is me, woe is me, I can't believe I got caught. But let's remember something, everyone needs to know this. It's not going to be Vladimir Putin on the witness stand in Washington, D.C. this spring. It's not going to be some left-wing prosecutor making the case. Mark Meadows, his former chief of staff, has accepted immunity. I did this for seven years, Jake. The reason he's accepted immunity is because he has admitted he has committed crimes himself, or he wouldn't need immunity. And he's going to testify that Donald Trump committed crimes on his watch. A founder of the Freedom Caucus, his former chief of staff, who he called the next James Baker. Donald Trump realizes the walls are closing in. He's becoming crazier. And now he's citing Vladimir Putin as a character witness, a guy who is a murderous thug all around the world. Um, It's it's time to send send Donald Trump back to Mar-a-Lago permanently. I want you to take a listen to something else that Donald Trump said about immigrants last night. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world they're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. They're pouring into our country. South America, Africa, Asia, immigrants, poisoning the blood of our country, the words of the leading Republican presidential candidate. Your response? He's disgusting. And what he's doing is dog whistling to Americans who feel absolutely under stress and strain from the economy and from the conflicts around the world. And he's dog whistling it to blame it on people from areas that don't look like us. And look, Jake, the other problem with this is the Republicans who are saying this is okay. Um, Almost 100 members of Congress who have endorsed him. Nikki Haley, who this week said he is fit to be president. You're telling me that someone who says that uh, immigrants are poisoning the blood of this country, someone who, who, who says Vladimir Putin is a character witness, is fit to be president of the United States, was the right president at the right time, Nikki Haley should be ashamed of herself. And she's part of the problem because she's enabling him. She's enabling him by saying to people, it's okay. Let me be really clear. I'm in this race to let people know it's not okay. It's not okay for an American president to be saying these things. And she should be ashamed of herself. These members of Congress who just sit there and compliantly nod their head like a dog in the back of a, of a car, just nodding away. Um, when he says all these things because all they care about is their own political future and their own primary in their own district. This is why American leadership is falling down. This is why I'm in the race to stay. Um, And we're going to take Donald Trump out by telling the truth because the truth matters. We have to acknowledge, though, that he is far and away uh, leading in the polls in Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, and across the country. And I guess I now have a question for you that's not an easy question. Do you think Donald Trump is doing so well among Republican voters despite rhetoric like that or because of rhetoric like that? 
I think despite rhetoric like that, Jake, I think they make excuses for him. I've, I've, I've interacted with voters who are supporting Donald Trump, and they acknowledge to me, yeah, no, that's a terrible thing to say. Yeah, I don't like that. But, you know, he's under a lot of pressure. You know, um, he's just a straight-talking guy. He says what he really feels and believes, and sometimes he goes overboard. So I think it's despite that, and I do think that when voters start to vote, particularly in New Hampshire, um, if, the, if the results in Iowa are as you say they will be, um, and he wins a decisive victory in Iowa, I think the people in New Hampshire are going to say, no, enough. And I think they're going to send a real message to Donald Trump on January 23rd. And they can't do it, Jake. They cannot do it by voting for Trump, Trump sycophants like Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Remember, Jake, at the first debate, all three of those people raised their hand and said even if he was a convicted felon, they would support him. I'm the only one left in this race who did not. And the fact is that that is the most important issue in this race because we can't beat Joe Biden with a convicted felon. We can't beat Joe Biden with someone who talks that way about immigrants to this country. And we can't beat Joe Biden by someone who is in bed with Vladimir Putin. Let's turn to uh, the Middle East uh, because the Biden administration uh, has made it clear that they're uh, so disapproving of how Israel is conducting its war against Hamas, not only uh, with so many Palestinian civilians killed, but also um, this uh, tragedy that happened Friday where the IDF soldiers accidentally killed three of their own hostages who were attempting to signal that they were uh, hostages. They were waving a white flag and, and uh, they were making it very clear that they were not Hamas. Uh, the Biden administration says it's so alarmed. They're now dis dispatching the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and even the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Air Force General C.Q. Brown. They're headed to Israel uh, on Monday to urge Israel to start a more limited, narrow phase of the war where Hamas is, is more specifically targeted. I, I know that you say Israel has the right of self-defense and that you want Israel to be able to eliminate Hamas. But beyond that, do you have any concerns about how the IDF is conducting this war? Well, you know, look, Jake, when you when you hear that three of the hostages themselves were killed while holding up a white flag, how could you not be concerned about that? Now, look, I can't imagine in a million years that IDF soldiers would intentionally do that. I believe that they made a mistake. That's the fog of war. Mistakes are made under this type of pressure. It doesn't make them acceptable, but it makes them a real unfortunate consequence of war. But look, the Biden administration should be having these conversations privately with Israel. Every time they do something like this so blatantly and publicly, what they do is give aid and comfort to Hamas. Joe Biden and his administration are giving aid and comfort to Hamas. And it's wrong. The fact is that it was Hamas that started this war. The fact is, I've watched that 43-minute video, as I know you have, um, the, the absolute inhumanity and joy in that inhumanity that Hamas took makes it clear this won't be the last time they will do it if they're able. So Israel's got to get focused on killing as many Hamas soldiers as they can to decrease that likelihood that Hamas could effectively pull off another October 7th. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned about particularly those hostage killings and the mistake that was made. They need to lower the temperature inside the IDF if they can in the middle of a war. But in the end, Biden and his administration are giving aid and comfort to Hamas when they say these things publicly. And I think it's wrong. Uh, lastly, before you go, I just want to get your uh, response to former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani uh, being ordered to pay $148 million to those two uh, Georgia election workers that he helped smear. Ruby Freeman and, and Shea Moss and their defamation uh, uh, trial, um, you, you know, the smears he made uh, that were completely false, uh, completely um, 
really pathetic, rather, uh, and uh, you know, ruin these women's lives. Uh, he's now been ordered to pay $148 million. Your response? Look, I think $148 million is a wild amount of money, and I never thought it would be that high. I thought it would be in the millions. I never thought $148 million. But look, the problem is what Rudy said when he left the courtroom, uh, that he doesn't regret one thing he said. And this is what Donald Trump does to people. Uh, you know, he turns them into people who become these kind of robot true believers um, who just will say whatever he wants them to say. But I would note something to my old friend Rudy Giuliani. It's not Donald Trump who's going to be forced to pay that $148 million and live the rest of his natural life in debt. It's Rudy Giuliani. This is what Donald Trump does. It's not Donald Trump who's in jail at the moment. It's all those people he encouraged to run up to Capitol Hill on January 6th and try to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. Um, it's, it's not Donald Trump who went to jail for all the lying he did in his business. It's Michael Cohen, his lawyer and fixer at the time, who went to jail for that. Donald Trump is a poison on our political system, and anyone who stays close enough to him either has to run away like their clothes are on fire, or they're going to wind up in much more trouble than he's ever been in. But Jake, the clock is ticking. His time is coming. And Donald Trump, I absolutely believe, will be convicted of crimes that are worthy of jail come this spring. And he knows it. And that's why he's getting crazier every day. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Coming up, he's considering a third-party presidential run. How might that work? Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia joins me exclusively next. And a whole lot of Republicans were ducking questions about abortion rights this week. That's coming up. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. This weekend, there is growing concern about President Biden standing among progressives, concern among Democrats, as the president considers striking a deal with Senate Republicans in exchange for foreign aid to Israel and Ukraine. Biden would be acquiescing to Republican demands for tighter asylum rules and restrictions at the border, where a flood of migrants is straining U.S. border facilities and creating a political headache for Democrats across the nation. 
Joining us now to discuss is Democratic Senator uh, Joe Manchin. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so senators uh, are still here in Washington. Thanks trying for having to, me, Jake. Trying to strike an agreement on foreign aid and immigration. I know you've been part of this. How close is the Senate to any sort of deal on the border that would then also allow Israel and Ukraine funding to pass? Well, let me just say this, that I have been communicating with the negotiators, my, my colleagues and friends on the Democrat and Republican side, also with the White House, too. And I'm very encouraged. I'm very optimistic. They're moving in a very positive way. They understand that the border is broken, that glass ceiling has been broken, and we've got to stop this dangerous immigration uh, that we have coming to our country from all over the world, Jake. Things that we've never seen, numbers that we have never seen like this. The whole world is in the flux and they're taking advantage of a system that truly is broken. And this is not immigration reform. They're basically working diligently on just securing the border. It must be done. It must be shut down. So uh, you, you mentioned the Biden administration being involved in the negotiations. Do, do you wish that they'd gotten involved uh, sooner? Did they get involved too late? Well, you always wish that, you know, I always start negotiations as quickly as I can, but there's an awful lot of moving parts here. I'm not going to second guess them. I'm glad they're involved now. They're very diligently involved and very much uh, in a productive way. I think you're going to find that we're going to find a piece of legislation that we can work. We have to understand it won't be perfect. There'll be people on the extreme right and extreme left, as always, that it won't be good enough. It'll be too much and not good enough. And there are going to be some uh, people that won't vote for it no matter what we do. But if we have 60, which is going to be, let's say, 35-25 or kind of an even split, if you will, between Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, uh, that's the proper balance to find and then hopefully send it over to the House. And I know the House has been resistant, but I can assure you the House will not get anything accomplished unless they start working together in a bipartisan way on these very, very troubling and challenging pieces of legislation. They've got to come to agreement that we're in this as the Americans, not in this as a Democrat or Republican Party. So let's talk about some of the details. Senate negotiators uh, are considering stricter requirements for individuals who come into this country and want to claim asylum. Uh, limits on what's called humanitarian parole, yeah. uh, which allows individuals like Afghans and Ukrainians to come to the U.S. Correct. Uh, and also a new way to expel migrants more quickly. Are all three of those provisions on the table, and do you support all three of them? I th I, uh, everything you mentioned, I support, but that, that I'm only one person. But with that being said, they'll find a balance here because everything you said is extremely important. You have to raise the threshold as far as on the definition of asylum. You just can't come and say someone threatened me and I've got to come into your country. You have to show and be pro uh, have proof that this type of threat to you and your family uh, is basically uh, un untenable and you cannot live in those conditions. That's going to change things. Even under the lower bar right now, Jack, Jake, when everything has been adjudicated, let's say there's 100 people adjudicated, less than 15 qualify with the lower definition of just saying someone threatened me. Can you imagine if we raise it to a more credible, higher level? that it'll really be more, more difficult and do, do the job that asylum's supposed to do and what it's done in the past. That's what we're working towards. And basically, thousands and thousands of people have been dispersed throughout the country. It'll give us time to basically make sure we can adjudicate them faster and those who came for the wrong reason or just came in for basically because the relaxed rules that we had, we can be more stringent and enforce that too. But you have to stop the influx of people coming and the incentive for people coming from all over the world to this country. It's very, very dangerous. 
very dangerous. And I think you've seen the, the numbers and the countries they're coming from. I've seen them. I'm very much concerned. It has to stop now. So, as you know, some progressives are really pushing back uh, on uh, comments like you made and, and the immigration provisions that Senate negotiators are discussing. They say that, first of all, you're, you're demonizing uh, immigrants who are trying to come to this country for a better way of life. Uh, beyond that, the head of the House Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal of Washington, said, quote, in exchange for Ukraine funding, Republicans are demanding the most exclusionary immigration legislation since racial quota laws of the 1920s. We must say no. No to Trump-era anti-immigrant policies. No to destroying the asylum system. No trading immigrant lives for foreign aid, unquote. Now, uh, Congresswoman Jayapal's in the House, but there are a lot of Democrats in the Senate, as you note, who, who agree with her. What is your response to those concerns? And are you going to be able to win over their votes? Or are you just going to focus on the lawmakers, the 60 in the center that you, that you mentioned? I respectfully disagree with, uh, uh, with uh, Congress, Congresswoman, and I respect her position. She's very progressive, comes from the left. I respect that. I just don't agree. And I think it's dangerous to our country what's happening right now, and I think a majority of people who are sensible, reasonable, and responsible understand that to be so. So we're going to basically work as the United States of America, working together and not working as a political tool and basically weaponizing it and blaming somebody else for not being perfect. The perfect well, should not be the enemy of the good here. The good would be stopping the flow of people coming to our country for the wrong reasons or people coming more than what we can handle. Jake, every one of us have gone to a sporting event or to a concert event or some, some other activity. And you know, sometimes we found out they're sold out. I'm sorry. Then you have to plan better. Go back the next time. Make sure that you're able to get a seat. That's kind of the simplistic way of where we are today. We are sold out. We are over capacity right now, and we have to control this. When you say it's dangerous, what do you mean by dangerous? I mean, most of the people coming to this country do not pose a danger to, to Americans. Jake, we're letting people come in and not adjudicate them and through the parole system that you said, and also basically just not having the means and having that much personnel to basically go through why you came, how you came, the purpose of your coming, this and that. We're going to basically say, okay, you don't seem to be a threat. Maybe they don't know because they're not doing, I, th I think, proper screening. When you have 10 and 12,000 people coming a day and you're only able to, to, baby, to basically really adjudicate maybe 500, no more than 1,000 a day, but 500 normally, mm -hmm. uh, Jake, you're overrun. Yeah. And you just turn them loose and basically disperse them within and says, we'll get to you later. There can be very dangerous people coming for whatever nefarious reasons they're coming for. I don't want to take that chance. I don't think we should take that chance. And I think that our negotiators right now, from our Republican and Democrat negotiators who are really diligent, doing a great job, and then basically with the White House involved, committed to getting this uh, border under control. That's what I'm really uh, very hopeful for, and I think that we're going to see something next week, and we'll stay there until we get it done. You're considering running for president as a third-party candidate in 2024. You said that you're launching a two-month tour to mobilize voters who feel, quote, politically homeless. A two-month tour, does that mean that you'll have made a decision on whether or not you're going to run for president by, say, March? Jake, I haven't said I'm going to run for president. I have said that basically this country doesn't work from the extremes. You can have the extreme right and the extreme left with all these extreme extreme ideas and you can't weaponize our system to make thinking that anybody on the other side that you're not on is your enemy and you treat them as an enemy. They might be a, a, a competitor, Jake, but they're not your enemy, okay? 
And for this system to get the way it is today, the only people are going to bring it back. It's not going to be in Washington. It's a pretty good business model in Washington. The Democrat National Party and the Republican National Party is pretty satisfied with the way the system works. It's very profitable for them. The bottom line is, is America is going to change when the people, when the moderate centrist people, center-right, center-left, people that feel homeless, people that feel helpless, that this system can't anything be any better than this. Uh, if they get involved and start demanding more from those who are seeking office, mm -hmm. we're going to find out and give them the strength and basically the ammunition they need to weaponize. Basically stop weaponizing the system and start using the strength they have as a voter. Right, but you said you're launching a two-month tour to mobilize voters who feel politically homeless. Um, so I'm just trying to get some sort of timeline. Well, start. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you think by March you'll, you'll have an <laughs> there idea? There is no timeline, Jake. There's no timeline? It's, okay. Are there, you, are you really leaning towards running? It sounds, like it sounds like you're leaning towards running. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Jake, here's the thing, what I would say to any American that feels they have the ability and have the experience and, and, and have had that opportunity to see it up close and personal, to see that things are wrong and be able to communicate how changes and what changes need to be made. And with that, and if you don't put yourself in a position to help your country, then God help you, why are you involved in public service? And the people that are depending on a representative form of government to truly represent them are not getting represented. So I can't tell you what time frame. I can't tell you if there is a movement or people really care or not. And even if they could work with, the, uh, with these uh, candidates that we have right now that have been announced, to let them know that they expect them to make responsible, reasonable decisions and not weaponizing and calling names and villainizing and this future of uh, spewing hatred mm -hmm. uh, and making that feel normal. That's not normal. Enough's enough, Jake. You can't continue. Words mean something and they're being used against us. Right, but they're being used against us. And when you hear all the rhetoric coming, it's horrible. Can you explain to me um, how you envision potentially a third party candidate winning and not just playing spoiler, because I know you know enough of history to know that even Teddy Roosevelt, the great yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, wasn't able to win as a third yeah. party candidate when he ran as a bull moose candidate. How can how can a third party candidate run and actually win or at least not be a spoiler? I mean, do you think that a, this third party uh discussion that you're having, would they try to draw equally from Democrats and Republicans and win with the voters in the middle? Is, is that the idea? Well, I think basically we've never seen the voters this displeased with the candidates they think they're going to be receiving right now. We'll have to see how that plays out, too. And that's going to be a, a few months, two or three months from now before you know exactly what we have going to be offered to the American voters as, as the leader of our country. Uh, with that, in that period of time, can we move some of these candidates back towards the middle? where they make some sensible, reasonable decisions, not being worried about their base. The base is the American democracy that we have. That's the base. And the base basically is basic, uh, people in the middle, centrist people that had to make decisions. Jake, you can't go 21 years in deficit spending. You can't accumulate $34 trillion of debt and say we're in the right trajectory. Both Democrats and Republicans and the parties that support basically the, the, the traditional candidates are not saying anything about how we're going to get our debt under control. Yeah. It'll be the greatest challenge we have. It won't be another military might take us down. The debt, the weight of the debt of our nation. People can't go 21 paychecks without balancing, let alone 21 years. And there's no no one talking about that. So new and here we have all trying to prevent from going into two wars around the world. Yeah. And, and uh, people now are saying, well, you shouldn't be doing this or that or don't support. It's unbelievable. New polls from CNN out this week show uh, President Biden trailing Donald Trump in Michigan 
and Georgia. How worried do you think Democrats should be about President Biden's reelection bid? And do you think it's time for the Democrats to take a serious look at maybe putting somebody else up to run against Donald Trump, assuming he's the nominee? Well, I think we all should be concerned about uh, the, the, the uh, support that Donald Trump has. And basically, he's told us who he is. And when a person tells you who they are, you ought to believe him. And he'll tell, tell you what he's going to do. It's not democracy as we know it. It's not how the country has been uh, able to survive through this uh, experiment of ours for over 230 plus years. And here we are today now being threatened. Can democracy survive? We've come through some tough times, Jake. In my lifetime, I remember the late 60s, how horrific that was and the assassinations we had to political leaders and the unrest we had in the streets and burning America. We came back together. We were able to pull together. We've been through difficult times and we can make it as long as we understand the freedoms, democracy that we have, the opportunities that we have, and the disparity that people are having right now. You know, I look around the world and see basically where the trouble spots are is where people have given up hope. They're just, they can't get out of this uh, quagmire mm -hmm. of, of poverty. And we can't let that happen in this country either, Jake. And that's the thing that I'm concerned about. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate it, sir, as always. Always good to be with you, Jake. Thank you. Merry Christmas to all. Thank you, sir. Would Republican voters change their minds about Trump if he were a convicted felon? We're going to take a look at some new polling and discuss Trump echoing America's adversaries with my panel next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Vladimir Putin of Russia says that Biden's, and this is a quote, politically motivated persecution of his political rival is very good for Russia because it shows the rottenness of the American political system, which cannot pretend to teach others about democracy. I mean, who needs Pravda? You have Donald Trump right there repeating Russian propaganda. Welcome back to State of the Union. Self-proclaimed defender of democracy, Donald Trump, admiringly quoting Russia's Vladimir Putin to attack both the sitting U.S. president and American democracy itself. My panel is here to discuss. Doug, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just empirically stunning, uh, you know, for any major presidential candidate to be quoting approvingly Vladimir Putin smearing American democracy. I don't care if it's Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. It's absolutely stunning. It's stunning, but it's not surprising because we've seen Trump do this time and time again. This isn't new news with Donald Trump. It's just the latest iteration of what strongman he wants to connect him to. But while this is Trump echoing Putin, it's not clear that this is really echoing throughout the country. You know, we, we see these clips, people absorb them, and then they go out and they buy a sandwich. And that sandwich is $15 now when it used to be $9.75 before COVID. Everything that Americans are spending money on is more expensive today, or they're not spending money because they can't afford the financing for a car or a house. And at the same time, we have the CBS poll that shows that just 7% think that Joe Biden has the strength and stamina to, to be president. I think that's what voters are reacting to. It's why Trump is leading in these polls, despite what he's been saying in campaign rallies throughout the country. 
Reality check there from Doug, Karen. Well, okay, but I think it's a bit un-American for a former president to be lauding a dictator who Don't disagree. is holding two Americans. And in the context of a presidential contest, A, when we are seeing actually economic numbers moving in a more positive direction, we'll see how that, if that holds. I do think this matters to Americans. I do think it, people would que will question, particularly when it is a binary choice, who is it? I mean, that kind of talk is actually also bad for the American economy. That's not going to make markets feel particularly confident. That's not going to help bring costs down. That's not a person who has an agenda for trying to bring costs. So I completely agree with the economic concerns. But again, the presidential election becomes who of these two men cares about me and is actually going to try to make my life better. I don't think the guy quoting Putin All is the All of that one means that Joe Biden should be up by 15 points then. And he's not. And you look at, you drill down in the states, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona, Trump's doing very well. well let's show, he is, but let's show this brand new uh, CBS News poll out of New Hampshire, uh, which actually has some good news uh, for one of Donald Trump's challengers, Nikki Haley. Uh, Donald Trump at 44%, Nikki Haley, uh, the ambassador and former South Carolina governor, 29%, DeSantis 11, Christie 10, Ramaswamy 5, Hutchinson 1. Um, and, and as you know, uh, David Urban, in polling, it's not necessarily where your numbers are, but where they're going. And Donald Trump is basically flat, and Nikki Haley is ascendant. I mean, 15 points is surmount. I mean, she can overcome that theoretically. It's huge, but it's 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 where she's going to have to finish, right? She's not going to be able to finish in the in the in the mid teens or high teens. You got to get in these 20s and 30, yeah, you know, high 20s. But she's 29. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So high 20s, all of a sudden you become credible. Yeah. Right. People start paying attention. They'll start tuning in. Your point, 15. Is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a number you can close on moving forward, but you're going to have to see that also. What's going to happen in Iowa be, before that, right? Is, is, are those numbers going to then change again? Because if she gets crushed in Iowa and is, is buried in Iowa, are those numbers going to go back down again, right, in New Hampshire? So it's, this is, it's like a three-dimensional game of chess here, right? So we, we have to see what's going to happen on the 15th. She may do well. She may not do well. I mean, we saw yesterday the, uh, the, the, the DeSantis team continues to kind of unravel at the seams, right? The Jeff Rowe left and they're having... The, so the pro-DeSantis pro super they're, they're PAC. They're having uh, this tumult, they're having this tumult inside yeah. the campaign. And so they're kind of on a downward spiral, it seems. So maybe she's ascendant in, in Iowa, does outkicks out her coverage there. And then that would, that would be really good for her moving into New Hampshire. If she loses badly in, in Iowa, I'm not so sure it's going to matter much in New Hampshire. So it's not just uh, the media and uh, Trump's rivals uh, like Nikki Haley and Chris Christie that are criticizing him. Former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said something, uh, some very stark criticism of Donald Trump. that I've never heard him say publicly uh, quite as starkly before. Let's roll that. Trump's not a conservative. He's an authoritarian narcissist. He's a populist authoritarian narcissist. So historically speaking, all of his tendencies are, you know, basically where narcissism takes him, which is whatever makes him popular, makes him feel good at any given moment. He thinks in, in an authoritarian way, and he's been able to get a, a, a big chunk of the Republican base to follow him because, you know, he's the culture warrior. Look, I mean, I'm glad. Welcome to the party, Paul Ryan. Where have you been <laughs> for so long? You know, before it was Donald Trump shouldn't run because he wasn't electable, not because he was an authoritarian, even after January 6th. So good. I'm glad more Republicans, including Paul Ryan, are starting to see the threat, you know, as we just were discussing him quoting Vladimir Putin. 
I guess my question, though, is I, I don't actually know if the Putin comments are going to impact Donald Trump or not, because I think we're seeing more and more Americans become more and more extreme, particularly on the right. And the Republican yeah, Party... Some on the left, too. Some on the I left, yes, but we're talking about Trump now. Okay, so. okay. Um, but... Republicans used to be, you know, against Russia, and now they're they're the party that doesn't even want to support Ukraine and the war to fight against um, a dictator. So I hear you, Doug, about, you know, why isn't Joe Biden 15 points ahead? I don't think it's a comparison right now to Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Right now, we're t- we just <laughs> talked about Nikki Haley. He's still up above, uh, over Nikki Haley, over Ronda Sanders, over Vic Ramaswamy, over Chris Christie. So... The party is moving in such a you way guys, that you guys, just keep, you, guys, you guys just keep telling yourselves that. Keep whistling past the graveyard, ladies. I'm not, I'm not right. saying... No, first of all, I'm not saying Hold that... Up, David. Uh, okay, I'm not, <laughs> let me just be real clear. I'm not saying in a general election, if it's Trump against Trump, there will be some comparisons. But I'm saying right now, your party is actually having a primary, and the comparison is people who want to stand up against Russia want to stand up for democracy, and someone who doesn't, yeah. and your front runner is someone who doesn't. I think we all agree that Donald Trump, A, is likely to get the nomination, although anything could happen, and B, could very well be elected. I don't think there's anybody on this panel who disagrees Absolutely. with that. Everyone stick around. We have a lot more to talk about uh, next. Uh, stay with us. This is a very, very fluid moment. I'm not convinced that Brother Biden's even going to be the, um, the the candidate for the Democratic Party. I think he's going to have a LBJ moment. I think I think he's going to end up pulling them. One of uh, President Biden's third party challengers, Cornell West. Uh, perhaps sapping, wants to sap some votes away from him uh, on the left for his progressive agenda. And it does actually get to the point that um, Joe Biden, one of the reasons he's so vulnerable, is that that coalition that came and delivered for him in 2020 is not with him right now. They're not. Progressives are, and it's, and it, it, and it, it's we should note, this is before mm-hmm. uh, October 7th, before Hamas uh, attacked Israel and Israel responded. Like, before that, he already was a trouble with progressives. He was shaky, but what I will say is when I do talk to progressives who, from the beginning of the Biden administration, their feeling is that he has governed and and had an agenda that is aligned with what they were doing, whether it's the child tax credit, whether it's gun reform, whether it's um, minimum wage, whatever it is, he has been pushing an agenda that they are aligned with. But again, that feels like a very D.C. feeling. When you go outside of Washington, D.C., it is not the Biden agenda is not resonating with people. And I think one of the things that they are going to have to do is connect the dots. The facts are saying that the economy is getting better, but people aren't feeling it. And so why? How can you connect that dot and really help people understand that they are fighting for you? And I think it has to be bigger than the alternative. It's the, the argument of 2024 is not going to be Donald Trump is the worst, so vote for me. They are, people are going to really have to feel like their lives are improving. In addition, after October 7th, part of the coalition sure. is very fractured because of what is happening. Um, they, there is disapproval of where the Biden administration is on um, the Israel and Hamas war. And I think it is going to have to be something that they really do wrestle with. I will just also say it's not just progressives right now that are feeling like that. The overwhelming, like 80 percent of the country right now isn't really aligned with where the Biden administration is. And it's and I feel like we're drawing false contrast on this issue where it's like if you are not wanting innocent Palestinians to die, you are not supportive anti-Sem. You want to stop anti-Semitism. And well, that's no, no, one, Israel that's has, not a reasonable argument. Right. Obviously. But I right. think people are putting that until 
and, and making it feel like if Biden changes his position, then he's cowering to the left, which isn't a fair uh, analysis of the situation or how people are feeling about that issue. And meanwhile, he's about to uh, enter into a, some sort of a compromise with Republicans uh, on the border. He's in a t- very tough spot. And that's going to hurt him. Listen to Congresswoman uh, Jayapal talking to Manu about, like, if Biden signs this bigger deal that has funding for Ukraine, funding for Israel, and these border changes, what that will do to the coalition. How much backlash will you get from the left if he does agree to these changes? He's gonna, there's going to be a lot. We have to put together a coalition that is the same coalition we delivered in 2020 for him to win the White House, for us to win the Senate, and for us to take back the House. Mm-hmm. And that coalition involves a lot of young voters. It involves a lot of immigrant voters. It involves a lot of folks of color. And a lot of them are going to be very disappointed with yeah, this border bill. They'll be terrified about the border bill. Listen, um, you know, my 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 colleague makes a very 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 sound points on, on her uh, <laughs> trying to find the right descriptive word. Um, uh, you know, Biden Biden's in a tough spot. The, the economy may be improving, all these may be happening, but people in America don't feel that, right? Mm-hmm. So the feelings are really more important than the facts here. Um, what he's going to need to do is going to need to convert lots of these things. He's had student debt forgiveness five billion plus dollars, but yet his numbers still tank. And that young, you know, young demographic, they're doing all these things to try to win these people over, and they're not getting any. What he's going to have to do here with the border, he's going to have to cut a deal because there, there is no border right now. The border is wide open, and it has to happen not just for Republicans, but for America. And he's trying to make it happen, and it's going to be a stinky deal. This is a problem co- coming down the line for uh, Joe so Biden. Let's just, let's just take a step back. The border's not wide open. Part of the reason uh, that we are... Okay. I mean, so the fact that we are... Um, intersecting people suggests that the folks at the border are doing their job. Let's give them a little credit. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. At the same time, though, look, it is a problem. We don't know what would be in the final deal, and it could end up being a major problem for this administration. We we do know that young voters, in particular around since um, October 7th, as we've seen on college campuses, that is a very real issue that this administration is going to also have to deal with. And in the context of a campaign, aggressively, you know, try to, as the Congresswoman said, bring together the co- a winning coalition, and it is not going to be easy. Um, and But look, having gone through this against Trump in 2016, we're already seeing Trump sort of seem to run in very much the same way. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, when you make the, the arguments to people on the issues that they care about, abortion as one example, which is also an economic issue for a lot of people, that does start to shift the dynamics of the conversation. I think that's going to be the way we're going to have to do it. Doug? Well, there, there's a problem legislatively, and we, we deal with this almost every December, and that's it's sort of a chicken and the egg issue. You can't whip the vote until you have a bill text of what's in that yeah. bill. But you also can't write the bill text until you've whipped the vote. And so this is why we see, whether it's a, a Republican speaker, Democratic speaker, certainly um, either side on, on the Senate as well, we get stuck like this because you're having conversations, but nothing really counts until you have legislative bill text. Process is not sexy, and this is what we're seeing right now. It's why they're stuck, and they're probably going to continue through the rest of the year. Yeah, all right. Thank you one and all for being here, uh, and Merry Christmas. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria, GPS starts next. I'll see you tomorrow on The Lead. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.